Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. I'm so glad that you're here with us at Hope Fellowship, whether you are with us at McKinney or at Prosper or my home campus, Frisco West, or you're with us online or right here in the room at Frisco East. My name is Aaron Frizzell. I serve as a campus pastor at our Frisco West campus. And uh, I hope all you guys are celebrating over there, all right? I miss you guys today. But hey, I'm grateful to be here. We've been in the middle of a series this summer uh, all about wisdom. Been about the last six weeks. This will be week seven. We've gone through Proverbs. We've gone through Ecclesiastes. Now we're going to jump into the book of Job. We're going to get to talk about suffering today. Yay! Thank you, Pastor John. It's going to be good, though. My goal is I, I want to obviously share my heart. I'm going to share a lot of scripture from the book of Job. <clears throat> but I think that the overarching goal is to maybe disrupt our theology, our thinking about suffering and what our focus is on when it comes to suffering. Now, I want to say this up front for those who are, are watching, whether you're with us distantly online or you're right in the room of one of our campuses, I want to validate the fact that every one of us have been through some level of suffering. Um, and in comparison to someone else, you may look at somebody else and say theirs are less than or greater than. It's not really about the level of suffering, but it is about understanding suffering of any kind is a hardship that in some ways puts you under some sort of stress in a way that you begin to question things. That's the way I would look at suffering. And I think that the Bible has a lot to say about it, but I also think that we've kind of made up our own views. So I'm going to show you some scripture today on that. I want to share a few thoughts on, on my own life. There's three things that I, I thought of, I, I processed, like what was um, areas of my life that when I reflect back and go, man, I just, that was just not fun. That was a, I would consider that a suffering type of, uh, of season. One would be about 12 years ago, a little over 12 years ago, uh, we had lost our second child through a miscarriage. We were living in McKinney. My wife had a, a, a DNC, which is common. And uh, what was not common, though, is that uh, she, she bled so much that she almost bled to death. It was within minutes the doctor said, hey, if this doesn't happen, we, you know, we can't make any promises. And, um, and she's alive today. She's sitting right over there. But I'll tell you the rest of that story in just a second. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that same season, about three months after that, uh, financial suffering and stress. We had about $45,000 of medical debt that happened in like 24 hours. And I was a student pastor at the time, not making killer money, uh, just doing our best to survive. And I called a guy in Oklahoma as a financial advisor that we trust. And I said, hey, man, this is the situation I'm in. This is how much I make. This is the debt I've got. What do I do? And he, his advice was, hey, file for bankruptcy tomorrow. Uh, not the greatest place to be in for my life. We were young, kind of confused. Um, about seven or eight years ago, when it comes to relational stresses in my life, uh, there's a guy I'd been working with for many, many years, um, really good friends, and through some just kind of decisions and focus changes and maybe missional changes, there, there, tend, there kind of was this broken relationship. And in that season of my life, it, it, it stunk. In fact, I did everything I could to try to bridge that relationship. And 
Uh, to this day, I, I, I don't have any contact with that person. And, and, it's, and it's still a little painful. But I want to tell you real quick the closure of that part uh, to give you, obviously, my wife is alive. We had two kids after that, to God be the glory. I did not file for bankruptcy. In fact, we made some hard decisions. We moved out of the house that we were in, lived in an apartment, made some very difficult decisions because we believe that God had something greater. Here's the other part relationally, is that I would not be standing on this stage had God not allowed a circumstance for what I thought was the relationship in my life that I needed, that God allowed a different direction and I wouldn't be here today. And I'm grateful because this has been the last five and a half years have been the healthiest season of our lives and my life and in ministry, and it's helped me reframe some things. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful. So I only tell you those things because I, I really believe um, every one of us, in fact, over the last 18 months, all of us have gone through some level of suffering. I lost my grandfather to COVID during, during the pandemic time. I've walked with people who have lost loved ones. I've walked with people who have gone through much worse. And again, not grading levels of suffering. But I want to look at the story of Job, and I want to begin to pull some things out of here and find what is the wisdom that we would find in this book. So let's go over some, I'll just call these basic kind of 101 versions of Job. Maybe you're, maybe you're new to the story of Job, so here's a few of them. The author, as far as we know, is anonymous. The uh, story happens in the land of Uz. Uh, who is Job? He's a righteous man. In fact, here's the things that it lists about uh, uh, about Job. It says he was blameless. He was upright. Honored God. Stays away from evil. And last, it says that he was the richest man in the entire area. Uh, however, Job was immediately introduced to major tragedy by Satan the accuser. And I'm going to go into that story in just a second. Let's think for just a second this list. For all practical purposes, us as humans... Wouldn't it be great if someone wrote a story about you and said, in the first chapter, they were blameless, they were upright, they were a person of integrity, they were godly, I mean, richest in the area. I mean, who would want that place on them, right? It lists all these, like he had one, another thing was he had one wife, which is very unique in that time because it was common to have multiple wives. He had seven sons, thousands of animals, super wealthy pretty good start to the story. Now let's look at this because when it introduces the beginning of his story and it dives directly into tragedy, I think when we first read the story, it kind of is disillusioning because you think, wait a second, in my spiritual formation isn't in my goal to become all those things. That's closer to Jesus, right? So if I get closer to Jesus why would there be that level of suffering? So let's look at this for just a second. I'm going to just kind of spell this out. It actually happens in uh, Job chapter 1. Um, sorry, guys. Let me go back to that scripture. Job chapter 1. I'm going to tell this story. Here's what it says. It says that there's this uh, kind of celestial court case that takes place. And this is the picture that is, is given. God is in the room. Other people are in the room. And there's a man named... Uh, Satan, or who we would call Satan, and it's defined as the accuser. And by the way, P.S., all of us have the accuser in our lives. And it may not be someone that you know, but the enemy lives a lot of times in rent space right up here because we let him, and he accuses us of things. And the same thing happened in this court case. Here's the way it looked. The accuser comes and says, hey, God, I've been kind of looking around earth, and uh, 
roaming around and I don't really find anybody that's righteous and godly. And God goes, have you considered my servant Job? And then that piece right in there says, here's what he is. He's blameless, he's upright, he's awesome. So here's the accuser's um, uh, prediction of it. Oh, great. Well, he serves you because he's blessed. That's why he serves you. You ever looked at somebody and it seems like everything in their life just seems like it's going right? And you go, oh, well, of course it's easy for them to say they love God. Like, look at their life. Look at the house they live in. Look at the job they have. Look at the kids they have. Look at their cool Instagram profile. It looks like everything. Okay, so this is one of those moments that Satan goes, oh, I know exactly why he is. And God goes, okay, let's test his character. Why don't you do anything you want to, but you can't affect his life? So it says that uh, a servant came to Job and said, hey, just so you know, all your cattle, gone. And then so on and so forth. All the animals start dying. All of his sons die. There's a really great comedian that I follow. His name is Tim Hawkins, and he says this. Kind of interesting that the only person that stayed alive was his wife. <laughs> Satan's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to leave her alive, all right? <laughs> let's, just, let's leave her on the scene, all right? No offense to wives. In the words of Pastor John, don't send me an email about that, all right? <laughs> so there's this story where we go from awesome, godly man, total destruction. Here's Job's response. He said, I, he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Pretty awesome. Wouldn't we all vote to say suffering should probably cease at that point? According to our opinion, our level and theology of understanding suffering, good to go. I think he handled enough. Let him rebuild his life. So what happens is Satan comes back on the scene. We jump back into the scripture in chapter 2. And he goes, okay, I get it. He's pretty good. And God says, well, what's your point? And Satan, the accuser, says this. He actually uses these words. Skin for skin, any man would protect his own health. God says, okay, what do you want to do? He said, I want to mess with his health. God said, you can do everything short of taking his life. Now, I want you to read it, and you can read it later so that you can understand it, but I'm going to tell you a personal story about this. It says that he got sick, got boils on his skin, and it got so bad that there is a verse that says he took glass and scraped his own skin out of the misery of what was on his skin. Now, quick story. And just get ready. You're going to be itchy. If you're watching this, you're going to be itchy, all right? I went to a missions trip. This is years ago. And uh, my son and I laid on top of a mattress with our sleeping bags, thinking it was a clean bed. Little did we realize there was tiny little demon bugs called scabies. They were in it. You ever heard of scabies? Don't Google it while you're sitting here. All I knew was from head to tiniest baby toe, I itched so bad. I bought more, I'm itching right now. I bought more bottles of cortisone cream and whatever anti-itch stuff I could and rubbed it all over myself and it didn't work. And I went to the doctor, the ER in fact, at midnight. I sat there till three in the morning and it was so bad. 
I looked at the nurse and I said, hey, I know this sounds crazy, but if you have razor blades anywhere, could we just slice my skin off and like wash these little tiny demon bugs out of here? And she goes, I know you have scabies. And I was like, what kind of answer is that? How do you know that? She said, because until someone threatens self-mutilation, we don't know what it is. Now let's stop thinking about that, all right? As if you can. So I want you to picture for just a second. I had just a snapshot of that misery. He had lost everything. Now his health was being challenged. And all of a sudden we see him suffering more and more and more. I think that one of the things that we have to look at is why, right? This would be our question. Why is it? that he would go through this amount of suffering. Let me give you his response, though, in Job chapter 3. Because this is a point where his human nature came out. At last Job spoke and cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased, and the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high, and let no light shine on it. At this point, here's where we see the wisdom that we're going to begin to learn about what God teaches us out of Job. The suffering had become greater than his perspective of God. It's interesting that when he lost everything, his perspective of God was still greater than his suffering. When he went round two with the accuser, now the suffering was to a level of going, okay, My wife is questioning me. She's challenged me to curse you, God. My friends are questioning me, thinking it's because I'm living in sin that this has happened. And all of a sudden, the suffering gets so insurmountable that he's like, you know what? I don't know that God's bigger than this. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody ever, even if it just lives up in your head, had this perspective of, am I going to be able to survive this moment? I would say in our culture, I'm going to just say specifically in Western culture, so maybe if you're watching overseas, maybe it's different. I would say in our Western culture, we tend to do kind of a weight and measure type of system in our minds. So when we read the story, if it starts out blameless and awesome, we're going to probably in our minds write this story to go, wow, it's going to end great. In fact, I would say this, for my own life, I think I would tend to say, you ever woke up one morning and you just thought, man, you know what? God should be proud to have me on his team. I'm a pretty good dude. I spent this whole week helping people. I even helped a few homeless people. I didn't even have to. I put all the baskets back in the right thing at the parking lot and grabbed a couple others. You know, I'm a pretty good dude. So what would be maybe our conclusion is this right here. Good choices equal blessings and good life. Bad choices equal curses and bad life. If this is true, then the story of Job, we should throw it out, right? But there's a biblical truth because if it's good choices, if it's a blameless life, then this should be what it's equal to. If it's our bad choices, and let me just say this, and and, and please hear me. I'm not diminishing the fact that things have happened to us, and as a result of what's happened to us, we've made poor choices and we have the consequences to that. I think that's a discipline that we have in our human nature. However, if this is true in our theology of suffering, then we are very in control of our own life. 
Now, are we in control of our habits, our mindsets, our convictions, our belief systems? 100%. However, when it comes to understanding God, one of the things that we're going to begin to see as a pattern through this scripture is the goodness in the presence of God, not just understanding the why behind the suffering. In fact, I want to read you a series of scriptures And as I read these scriptures, I want you to think through what is your view currently of any sort of suffering that you've ever walked through? And what could God shift as a result of what he shows us in Job? Let's read these scriptures. John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. This is a result of the sin and the brokenness of what we have, human nature. Sometimes when people say, why do bad things happen to good people? There's a human nature that exists in this world, and there will be trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I, God, have overcome the world. Next. 1 Peter 3.14 says, But even you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it, so don't be, so don't, Worry or be afraid for their threats. Next. 1 Peter 5.10. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. Are you noticing the language talks about where he's present with you, not pulling you out of what you're walking through? And he will place you on a firm foundation. Next. 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let's be honest, in America especially, we don't really like that. That's, oh, that's got to be a result of not being politically correct in your faith, right? When you stand for truth, someone's not going to like it. Next, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the suffering of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Next, James 1.12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Talking about an eternal life. Next. Luke 14, 27, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Let me just say this. One of the things that I learned a long time ago is our symbol of faith is a cross and not a couch. That's not easy to, 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 to see as a reality. And it's not that God's saying you need to get up every day and make sure that you're suffering. Create self-suffering. No, no, no. Life, life has its own suffering. And it's carrying the cross to know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. Next. I love this one. Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. So many stories in scripture that reference what this is saying about where God protected, where God kept them, the ark that was saved, the children of Israel that went into the fire and were not burned. I I, want to say this because I think that um, 
sometimes we, we, we adopt this assumption that um, out of our own wisdom, out of my own wisdom, I'm, I'm gonna get to a place where I understand why I went through this. I don't know that I can promise you that today. If you're watching wherever you are, I don't know that I can promise you that. And I can't even promise you that you can find a chapter and verse that says, oh, that's why I went through it. What I can promise you from the very first verse in Genesis to the very last verse in Revelation is I can promise you this. He will never leave you nor forsake you in the middle of your suffering. That I can promise. So when we see Job, it kind of, again, it messes with our perspective of it. But here's, here's what I know. God promises to be there through it all. That's a promise. I believe that if there's anything that needs to be heard today by anybody that's watching today, that if there's a disruption in the way you see whatever it is that you are walking through, right here, God promises to be there through it all. I can promise you that. When I go back to everything that I experienced that I told you at the beginning, you know what I know? God was with me emotionally. God was with me financially. God was with me relationally. And where I am today, it makes me look back and I'm grateful for all those experiences because it strengthens something inside of me that I didn't know would exist today. I can promise you that God is with you through it all. I want you to think about this illustration for just a second. Uh, there's a lot of personal trainers in this area, a lot of fitness stuff going on in this area. Love it. It's great. If you hired a personal trainer tomorrow and you told that personal trainer, I want you to get me, let's fill in the blanks. I want to lose X amount of pounds. I want to uh, have massive biceps. I want to have uh, big chest muscles. I want to have a six pack. I want to have a rip leg, whatever. All right. Just make up your own. I want to be able to walk from the couch to the mailbox and not breathe heavy. Okay. Maybe that's your goal. And that personal trainer says, all right, I got a goal for you. I'll meet you tomorrow morning. We're going to meet. I'm going to start you on this track to help you accomplish your goal. Let's say it's strength. All right, let's start. We're going to do, we're going to start with 25 push-ups. We're going to do uh, 50 air squats. We're going to do 50 uh, crunches. And I want you to run a half a mile. And for some of you guys here listening to that, you're like, I ain't doing any of that stuff right now. All right. But you have a goal. And that goal, you do it the first day, and the next morning you wake up. Can I make you a promise? You will be sore. In fact, if you've never done anything physical activity, you're going to be very sore. In fact, like day three, you're going to want to punch the trainer in the throat. I don't know that that's biblical. I'm just saying you probably want to feel that way. However, would it be absurd if at the moment that you felt all of that pain, fill in the blank, suffering, if you felt all that suffering, that your conclusion was to go stand in front of that trainer and go, you know what? I've thought about my entire childhood up until this point, and every ounce of suffering that I've experienced, what I am experiencing right now reminds me of that, and I blame you for every single bit of that. I cannot believe that you put me through this. You know what the trainer's going to do if they're a really good trainer? They're going to sit you down, tell you to hold, take a whole bunch of deep breaths, and just say, hey, can I just remind you of something real quick? That, that pain that you feel right over here from those push-ups, do you know it's developing strength in your chest? Do you know that's a result because they, there was probably some atrophy of your muscles that was setting in, and now that you're active, 
there's a reason. You know those, those quad muscles that are right there? That's one of the biggest muscle groups in your body. Do you know how hard it is to put those in action, do a squat, and then do a whole bunch of them? But do you know what it's building? Stability. Do you know what happens when you get older? If you don't have stability, that's why you fall over real easy. You lose your balance. Do you know that, uh, and go through every little thing. And there all of a sudden becomes purpose to the pain, and it changes your perspective. Now, you see where I'm going. How many times have we done this to God? All right, God, I want to be spiritually mature. I want to grow in my faith. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better student. I want to be a better boyfriend or girlfriend. I want to be better in church. I want to volunteer. You name your goal. And God places people around you. And all of a sudden, your weaknesses are pointed out. Your challenges come to the surface because you're in this growth season. And all too often, we step back and we go, wait a second. Because of the suffering and the pain I'm feeling right now, I cannot believe that God will put me through this. Because sometimes our assumption is good choice equals blessings and a good life. God, I tithed one weekend last year. Should be a millionaire. Isn't that how it works? Kingdom Casino. Grab the lever, pull it, Lots of Jesus money. I'm just saying. God, I went to church and volunteered at VBS with a jillion children. I should get bonus points in heaven. Not that those things are bad. But we feel we control this. And all of a sudden what we realize is there may be that the suffering is growing us to a brand new level. And the obstacle that we thought was a problem really becomes the way through to who we want to become on the other side of it. And I would say if we take time long enough to sit with God, and please hear me for just a second. Don't theologically think I'm pulling down God, sovereign God, into this illustration of a trainer, okay? But what I am saying is I think that we can stop long enough to go, God, can you explain where you're taking me through the suffering? And please hear me. And I would even go so far to say, please forgive me if you're thinking that I'm saying that your pain doesn't matter, that your pain is diminished. Every ounce of what you are currently, have, or will walk through in the future has a purpose if you let God show you the purpose through it. Because at the end of the day, God is with you through it. That's the most important part. Let me give you this statement. What if we start today and trust the one who knows the purpose of the pain and what it's building in us. Now, this is important. I didn't say trust the pain. That's important. Because I think sometimes we go, oh, I'm going I'm to trust the pain and I'm going to just grit through it because we think we know, we know when the other side is. We're in control of the other side. But what if you don't know when the other side is going to end? Then that means that if you get to the edge of when you think the end is and God didn't come through like we thought he was going to come through and the timing that you thought he was going through, guess who's going to get blamed? God, not the circumstances. So when I say this, it's very important to know that you're, we, are, we, we are trusting the one 
Who knows the purpose of the pain and what it's building in us? That brings me to another question. I want you to think about this is, um, do I really deserve this? Again, let me go back to what I said earlier. And I'll, I'll just blame it all on myself. I have woken up some doc, sometimes and I've been like, man, this is a crazy week. Like, Jesus, I know you're pumped that I'm on your team, you know. And most of us have gotten to a place, maybe you haven't. And I want to go to the opposite end of that in just a second. But I think sometimes if we look at it through this, do I really deserve this? If wealth and a good life is the result of just really good decisions and integrity, North Texas is killing it, right? Like you ever drive around some of these neighborhoods, you're like, man, all integrity, good decision people. They're all squillionaires, you know? Squill, I think that's a real word. Here's the other side too, though. Do I, do I really deserve it? Oops, sorry. No, leave that, do, yeah, leave that up there. Do I really deserve this? Here's the other side of this too. You ever created yourself as a martyr too, though, and go, you know what? I do have a secret sin that I'm dealing with that nobody knows about. I probably deserve this suffering. You know what? I, 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 I was pretty rude to that person. You know what? I forgot to put my buggy back and I just kind of bumped it into someone's car and then left. Don't you act like you've never done that before. Maybe not bump them, but just kind of leave it there just in case. So what do we do? Do I deserve this? Oh, based on all my good decisions, of course I deserve this. All this blessing, result of my decisions. Job blows that up. The other side too. Oh, all this challenge I'm going through, all is a result of my decisions. Please hear me. As a child of God, God does not look at you and go, all right, weights and balances worked out. You get the blessed life today. We make good decisions out of an honor because the God who loves us enough to put breath in our lungs gives us the ability to make wise decisions, but not because we're in control of our future, because our good decisions are our bad decisions. And I hope, I hope that that's encouraging and that fills, that, that fills you with grace. Let me put it this way. God does not operate on a system of weights and measures. He operates on a system of grace and truth. Truth never changes no matter what generation you're raised in. It's not relative to what you think it is. The Bible and God's word is not, it wasn't different in 1970. It may have been preached differently. Believe me, as a pastor's kid, <laughs> believe me, there's been some times I'm like, oh, that's, that's religious preference, not actually biblical truth, okay? Grace is being given what you don't deserve. Mercy is not being given what you do deserve. Grace is the idea of on your worst day, you can read scripture that reminds you while you and I were in the middle of our sin, Christ died for us. Doesn't mean it's a license to sin, but it's a reminder that it's not a weight and measure system. Oh, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm good, I'm bad. Nope, grace, truth. Grace extends to you something that you didn't deserve. I didn't deserve. Truth brings you back as accountability to say, hey, you're out of line over here. Let me bring you back to the truth of what, what God's word is. Because in the middle of it, he's there. In the middle of it, he's there. Charles Spurgeon says this, and we are, we are wrapping up, I promise. He says this, he was a preacher in the, in, in the 1800s. If you study anything about evangelists that did lots of uh, kind of worldwide evangelism says this, I've learned to kiss the wave 
that throws me against the rock of ages. The reference of that is this, is that he said, I know that I have a Jesus who can stand up out of the boat, stand on the edge of it, hold his hand over it and say, peace be still. And the winds and the waves will be grateful to stop because Jesus spoke over them. But it says, I have learned to kiss the wave. Kiss the wave meaning I have learned to appreciate the suffering. Not because suffering was fun, but it's because it hit what it threw, threw me up against, the rock of ages. Grateful for that. Now I want you to look for just a second because after Job went through some of his stuff, his human nature did take over at some point and he was like, okay God, this is crazy. I've served you, I've been faithful, I've stood against my friends who have told me to let go of you and curse you, I've stood against my wife who's told me to curse you. He does eventually and he's, here's what he says. God's response to Job. And this is good for us to remember today. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. And he goes on and talks of all the intricate parts of how he created this world. And God, I believe with all my heart, when you read it, don't read it like sarcasm. It's not like God standing over Job being like, what you thinking, bro? You lost your mind. He's standing there going, hold on. The air that you're still breathing, put it in motion. The eyes that you're still looking out of, the mouth that you're using to curse, to, not to curse me because thank God he didn't, but to speak against me, I gave you the ability to do that. So, so why, why would that perspective be so important for us? Because on our worst day, we can be reminded everything that God put into motion was designed to bring us back in a relationship with him. And if we forget everything, go back to the book of John, read through it and be reminded that you are not serving, I am not serving a God who is distant from our suffering. We are serving a God who sent his son to walk on this earth, to walk through the worst suffering ever, to experience the death, that of on the cross, which was meant for people who did horrible, heinous crimes for one purpose, so he could speak into your suffering and remind you he's with you always. I wanna leave you some questions today, and I'm gonna pray a very specific prayer over us. Do I follow God because of what, what he can give me? Can I just say this for just a second? If this is true, don't feel judged by that. Just begin to allow God to shift some things in you because maybe what he can give you is a very, very small part of understanding the greatness of God because I do believe God, every, per, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Do I feel entitled to something that I feel like God is not giving me? This is where a lot of our, our resentment gets built with God at times. Do I have unmet expectations with God? You know, in marriage counseling, probably one of the greatest things that we talk people through is this right here. And we do the same thing with God. God, I did this. Are you gonna, what's your end of the deal? Like we're in this religious contract with God. Last two. Can I see God with me in the middle of my current suffering? And am I willing to trust God with my suffering. I don't want to answer those for you, and that's why I ended that way, because I want it to feel reflective to your life. But I want to make you this promise today. 
wherever you're at and whatever you're doing, God is with you in the middle of your suffering. I told you from the beginning, I'm not going to explain why. I'm not even going to explain how. I don't know that God always explains why and how. Because if you ever notice, if you have a why and have a how, it removes faith from the equation and you just walk around with your own logic. I think God allows us to go through things to keep faith as the tension of trusting him and not just trusting our own wisdom. I believe today, wherever you're at and whatever you're doing, if you're watching online, just be reminded, he's a good God. He's with you in the middle of your circumstances. And I promise you, I promise you, he will never leave you He will never forsake you. Here's the way I'm going to close in prayer today, and Pastor Robert's going to come up. I'm not going to pray necessarily a salvation prayer, but here's the way I I want to pray over you today, is that God would open your eyes, your ears, to see him in your current reality. That if he feels his voice is, is silent, you ever had those days where you pray and it kind of hits a ceiling? You have those days where you feel like that maybe the people around you, it it feels disruptive. Like I told you before, it felt disruptive. People were being brought out of my life that I thought, man, but these are the people who have been in my life. And I didn't understand what God was doing. My prayer is that you would see a glimpse of what God is doing and where he's taking you. Because here's a cool story at the very end of Job. It says that he doubled everything that he had. And you know that not one time does the scripture say he doubled everything he had because he was so good. Job's perspective changed and he said, I'm going to allow God to rebuild my life because I know he's with me through it all. Period. And that's my prayer for us today. Can I pray over you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this obscure story of this awesome godly man but yet he walked through some of the most intense suffering that probably anybody ever could. So much loss. But yet you show us, God, that you, you laid the foundations of this earth and put things in motion. Long before even Jesus was on the scene, you had a plan to send him to this earth to walk beside us, teach us, talk with us, suffer with us, cry with us, rejoice with us. And you still remind us of that today. So God, for my friends who are in this room or at every campus, those who are watching online, may we see you, may we hear you. God, whatever we're walking through, I pray that your presence would be so real and so apparent. God, may the pain we're going through begin to make sense because we see the purpose you're developing out of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.